a Mitch and Jeremy exclusive. Are you ready? On air. Online. Are you ready to have a good time? On your smart speaker and wherever you stream. The Mitch LaFon and Jeremy White Show. The Mitch LaFon and Jeremy White Show. Tuesdays at noon. Available wherever you stream. Catch up on past interviews and episodes. On demand now. Subscribe so you don't miss any of it. Anyway, bonjour, as we say here in Montreal. Jeremy, if you want to get us started, I've got so many questions that and we've only got half an hour, so let's, let's rock. Yeah, well, look. Just let's go. Get whatever you can in when you can, because the Wi-Fi at this hotel is real shaky. Well, you know what? You yeah. sound really good when you talk, so when you talk, we'll shut up. Yep. Love- and then- <laughs> go All for right. it. Well, Davy Johnson, brand new record coming out. Obviously, we want to talk about that. And of course, I mean, she's nearly 50 years with the man, the myth, the legend, Elton John. Uh, you can pick up this new record wherever music is sold. Like, geez, nearly, uh, what, 40 years later, you decided to put out a brand new record, Mitch? Uh, yeah. we'll talk about yeah. that. Yeah. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show for the first time, Mr. Davy Johnson. There he is, everybody. Yeah. And the, of course, the album's called Deeper Than My Roots out on uh, February 4th. Just uh, want to get that detail in February there. February uh, 4th. As- as we well, say, thank bonjour. bonjour. Thank you. Good to see you guys this morning. Yeah. yeah. So talk to me about this. I mean, the last one, Smiling Faces, comes out 49 years ago. And uh, you sort of say, <laughs> yeah, this would be a good time for another one. Uh, yeah. Talk to yeah, me about well, that, that little it the, hiatus. It was, perfect, it was the perfect time because, um, yeah, 49 years. Is that how long it is? My God. Um, well, really, he's kept me pretty fucking busy since then you know (laughs) so i haven't really had time to put all my energies into something as um as kind of intimate as a as a solo record so the covid thing you know like a lot of people have jumped on that whole issue as as being a reason for doing something you know that they really wanted to do and and it's the same thing for me i just suddenly thought wow i'm going to be home for a while um, what is it that I that I used to do? And and I plugged myself into into you know me kind of before I joined Elton um, as a young guy, just you know moving from Scotland down to London, and you know just all the the whole thing about me learning about the business and uh, learning about women and alcohol and drugs and other stuff like that, which have been you know obviously a huge part of my life in, in different ways and. Thankfully, I finally got it under control, so it's good. Nice. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, so talk to me about what you wanted to say on this one. Was he, Were these songs that have been sort of kicking around, and I, and, I, and I jokingly say for 49 years, and you said, I'm going to get them out, or are they songs that you just said, hey, you know what? I'm just going to write a, a fresh batch and see what, see what happens. Yeah, they're exactly that. They're, they're brand new. Um, you know, I just figured that, as I said a minute ago, that the idea of being able to put myself into what I was writing without thinking about maybe the next Elton gig that was coming up or having to show the band something or rehearse the guys on something, because that's part of my job with Elton. So suddenly I was in a position where I'm totally free. I don't have to do anything or I can do whatever I want. And I've always been, you know, I've always enjoyed sitting down composing just maybe instrumentals or guitar pieces but to actually write some full songs again, um, I needed a bit of help. And I, I have a good friend of mine, uh, Rick Otto, is a wonderful um, lyricist and poet uh, and actor who lives in California. And um, I asked him if he wanted to you know, collaborate on a couple of songs, which he'd never done before. He agreed and it came out really, really well. Um, so all the songs were brand new. 
And uh, there was one that was co-written by one of my boys, Charlie, um, who also engineered some of the album and played keyboards on it. And um, there were two other pieces. Uh, they are the only pieces that are from a little while ago. Um, they're in fact, they're 10 years old. Uh, the two instrumentals on the record, one's called Black Scotland, the other one's called Walt Disney. And um, they're both kind of crazy instrumentals that I recorded um, with one of my boys, Jesse, again, and my eldest boy, Tam, who, who recorded it and mixed it. And um, the wonderful Bob Birch, who unfortunately we lost back in 2012. Right. Uh, these two instrumentals that he played on for me were probably the last things that he did um before he passed uh which was just total tragedy um but yeah those are the only two that are a little bit older than the song match which is all recent stuff so i'm, I'm really proud of it because as you probably saw, saw from the album cover and that I, i've been able to utilize my kids uh enormous talents um yeah. elliot's been he's the youngest he's been he's the the lead vocalist on mo most of the album and and my daughter juliet designed the whole package the, the the cover i don't know if you've been given a copy of that but it's yeah yeah as, yeah as a dad it must be really gratifying to be able to work with the children on this because i mean it really does come full circle at the end of the day exactly it's been amazing and you know i'm not one of those dads that is um you know guys you got to do this i'm, I'm not one you're of not those one of those dads. like that's my boy that's my boy yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm like a real I, i'm an easygoing guy and, and um <clears throat> i've been blessed with a lot of very talented uh, artistic kids and um yeah i just it was almost like well we're all here we're all at home right now do you feel like singing you know doing a track with me and um they were like sure so uh, you know the very first track we did was was the beatles cover that's on the record uh here there and everywhere mm. and i just asked elliot i said do you want to sing something if i put down a guitar part and, and he said sure you know we were like bored shitless didn't know what to do yeah and um we did the this version of here there everywhere and i added some mandolins on it and put a vocal harmony on elliot's part and suddenly the whole thing started to sound really cool and and i thought i might have a little recipe going here for something that could be a very interesting project and and that's the way the whole thing carried on just from there and very modest beginnings and it carried on that way. I did most of it at the house and then some of it at my friend Marlon Hoffman's uh, home studio. And uh, he and, and my engineer, Major Wynn, just got together and we made things happen in these very, very organic, you know, friendly surroundings. It wasn't, there was no commercial studios in this whole thing. Wow. No commercial studios at all. We did it all, you know. Uh, on our own. With it, the but, little M box at home on the, the home studio and the headphones. There you go. There you go, exactly. And it was just so much fun. And and then the one finishing touch that I put to the whole record once I'd finished it and mixed it was um, I've, I've got a dear friend, Howie Weinberg, who's a, a wonderful mastering engineer. And he agreed to, to, to master it for me just to give it a bit more of that analog sound that I wanted to get on it. Right. And he did a brilliant job. And so, yeah, I've got this great little little package, which I'm thrilled about. It's coming out in about a week's time. It's amazing what you can do in home studios these days. But I mean, like through your entire career, I'm sure you've recorded in some of the most incredible recording studios in the world. I mean, is, is it still this, is it still the same to be sitting at home in the bedroom or in the home studio and doing it? Or is there something about being in that big room with the band and getting that vibe off the floor? Well, that's obviously wonderful. Um, but, you know, unfortunately, 
I mean, almost everybody I know has gone into a different kind of recording. Uh, even the last um, kind of loose recordings that we did with Elton back in 2016, I want to say, um, with T-Bone Burnett, we, we did a couple of live things with the whole band playing at one time, but it's something that's not really followed up into the, you know, from the way that it used to be. When we recorded the, the, the early classic Elton albums, uh, it was just Elton, myself, Dee Murray and Nigel Olsen, that was it, four of us. When we did those albums, we were obviously playing at the same time. We were writing the songs and then recording them straight away. Yeah. And it was really exciting and really quick because that's the way that I like to work. And that's the way that Elton's always enjoyed working. So we've, you know, I can always work that way. But to be honest with you, many people nowadays don't work that way. They work, um, they'll get a basic idea for a track and then build it up piece by piece, which I'm not a huge fan of it of that way of working. Um, so what I did on this record was I played pretty much everything myself. Oh, wow. Um, because I, I just, you know, I I know how to do that. And so it was a lot of fun. And total and control areas, as well. Yeah, it, it's good fun. And, and um, yeah, exactly. You get what you want. But then for, for the drum tracks, I'm not a drummer. Um, I got my son, Jesse, played on, I think, five tracks. And my dear friend, Denny Sywell, um, ex of uh, Paul McCartney. Paul McCartney's band, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he played on on three or four tracks too. So it was apart from my family, there was like Danny uh, and Nigel Olsen played on one track. Our drummer, I uh, played on Melting Snow, which was amazing. And um, but yeah, apart from that, it was all the family deal, you know. <laughs> Do the kids look at you and they're like, listen, I, I've played with Elton John my whole life. I mean, uh, you know, <laughs> I think you can come play with me. Are the kids like, Do the kids look at you like, oh, you played with Elton? They're like, ah, dad, all right, well, we'll sing on your record. <laughs> oh, yeah, they're pretty they're pretty blase about all that because they've been coming to Elton shows. All of them have since they were yeah. you know, tiny. And, you know, they all know Elton really well. I mean, it's Uncle Elton. Yeah. And, um, you know, or worse. And, um, <laughs> you know, he's always been super kind to them and really nice to the kids and they adore him. Yeah, In yeah. fact, he he, uh, he recently, when he heard this record that I've just done, he, he made a point of, of FaceTiming me one day and, and demanded to speak to Elliot, uh, the singer. <laughs> and, um, and he proceeded to tell Elliot um, how great he thought his voice was and, and the way he looks and the way he is. And his possibilities for having a career if he wants it yeah. in this business. And it was just so encouraging for Elliot. It was like, wow, you know, because as much as they're, they know Elton, they're familiar with him and it's what it is. And they've seen hundreds of concerts, uh, us playing these shows. But when they actually are, 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 you know, in a conversation with him, it's still quite daunting for them yeah. as young people. Cause they, cause no matter who you are, what age you are, um, the name Elton John is kind of like this. Yeah, it's it's iconic. I mean, I mean, listen, yeah. when yeah. when when your PR approached us and said you want to talk to Elton John's guitarist, and that's not how they said it. I just went, yeah, I do, of course. But, <laughs> yeah, but I, I want to go back to the first time I saw you, Davey. Uh, it was in the movie Roadie, and you're doing uh, Pain Pain oh. with Alice Cooper and all that stuff, and yeah. and and that band. Uh, from that era was great and so i just want to quickly ask you because i'm a huge alice cooper fan so i just want to ask you about from the inside you've got d murray on there you've got bernie toppin who who wrote and of course d passed away uh, you know god rest his soul mm -hmm. um what was that like being on there because you've got steve lucather you got the guys from toto you've got david foster i mean 
from the inside is i mean it's just, it's it's a gathering of might yeah. <laughs> yeah no you're right you're right it really is a superb album and and um it did very well when it came out and and it's one of those that i think should be considered a classic album it's one of those really great great works and um well see i've known alice forever and i adore him uh he and, and his wife cheryl are just are one of great some of people our friends. salt of the earth salt of yeah, the earth absolutely beautiful people they're really the best uh their kids and everything i just adore them um yeah so when this thing came up about the album it was interesting because i hadn't ever worked with um i knew um david page in those days because of my friendship with james newton howard who played in our our band in the mid-70s after dianaju were kind of unceremoniously dumped uh, for a few years there <laughs> um james was in the band so we were very close and and he knew David Page and he knew Jeff Picaro, who I'd worked with also in in a lot of session work when I first, you know, would would got my feet wet doing that in LA and I loved doing it. And I remember one day talking to Jeff, uh, who again, another brilliant guy who's gone, who's been gone for many years now. And I what a wonderful drummer and a great person. And uh, that whole family, the Picaros, you know, Jeff with his brother Steve, who played uh keyboards in toto michael who also passed uh from uh lou gehrig's disease which was a total tragedy mm -hmm. um but anyway jeff and i were talking one day and he said you know what i've got this we've got this band we're putting together and we're going to call it toto and and he said i've got this young guitar player and what he does is he, he does what you british guys do he he's got this great crunchy kind of rhythm sound and lead sound that that really we base ourselves on that whole brit rock type of thing yeah and and when i heard steve playing um i was stunned at his brilliance and i still am i gotta tell mm. you steve and i are good friends and he actually works um with another good friend of ours ringo who's a dear dear friend of yeah. mine yeah uh, and Steve's been working with Ringo, uh, along with Greg Bissonnette and some of these other great players for the last five or six years. And, um, but back then, he was a young, he was, I mean, I was only maybe 23 then. Mm, and Steve was only like 19 or something. Right. And it was like, those were the new guys. And what really struck me back then was how, how reverential yeah. Steve was. Well, it was like, oh, Dave, he's great, man. Meanwhile, I'm, I'm listening to this this kid playing this phenomenal, you know, innovative solo style and all the rest of it. And I just knew, I said, we, this is a new thing that's going to happen here right now. This yeah, is yeah. A, and so Elton and I have always championed Toto in those old days. And I still adore them to this day. I just had, had dinner with David Page uh, recently. And I actually saw Steve Picaro on a call last night. So, you know, we're all very closely linked over those years. And it's just wonderful to know that these guys are still doing what they're so great at doing. Yeah, you're all still doing it. I mean, it's, it, yeah. it's, it's, I mean, 50 years and 3000 shows with Elton John. I mean, and by the way, do you, do you get like a gold watch or something for that? I got the gold watch back in 84. Actually. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. I would expect the gold watch. A prepaid item, I think. So, um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, these I days you. Open. I'm just going to hang around till the end. But you know what? We're getting pretty close to the, the end of the touring cycle. If COVID actually really lets us do that, because right. we're out here on the road, and and you probably saw from all the the, the press yeah. and all the shit going on that he's got it. So we've got it. He's got a quarantine for five days, and 
And um, we're, we're over in Little Rock, Arkansas right now, waiting to see if we can play the show on Saturday night. Um, but yeah, it, you know, we're doing what we do best, but we also know that it's got to end somewhere because of our age and just the whole nature of life. You know, I mean, this, the road's actually a place for much younger guys than us. You know, yeah. the only thing that's unfortunate about it is that most of the young people nowadays are not going out on the road because they haven't really honed their craft enough to, to really perform well, you know, and, and do what we used to do when we were first doing it, which was get out there and, and play for it. Yeah, you guys didn't have the luxury of Pro Tools and all the playback and yeah. just mime to your parts. They, they yeah. do their, you actually their, had their the play in the basement. Yeah. yeah, that's right. That's right. And by the way, I love, you know, Pro Tools and Logic and all those great. Uh, they're wonderful. And, and, you know, my son, Charlie is a whiz and also my son, Jesse uh, and Tam. They're all wizards at this, at this um, technology. Uh, and I do believe that it can be used for the right, the right reasons in, in recording. Yeah. Be good. Uh, a lot of used for good. Used for, you, can, you can use it for yeah, good and not evil. <laughs> And they can fix this, fix that, and they can make anybody who sings like a, a bear, they can make them sing in tune. So yeah. there's a lot of those things that unfortunately it gets misused, I think, in some areas. But I gotta tell you, used in the right way, it's a phenomenally effective, you know, tool in, in the recording bag up to this day. And yeah, I certainly use it with my kids. Why yep. not? Better than baking tape and razor blades. <laughs> And we've done some of that, too. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. Uh, it's amazing how you talk about um, Steve Lucas there, because I was just texting with his son, Trev, the other day. He's working in the studio with his dad, producing a record for him. He had Simon Phillips on drums. And he's like, it's so weird to be in the studio with my dad in a working capacity, because I've gone to so many sessions with him in the past. And to be in the moment, you know, saying, like, hey, dad, why don't you try this? Like producing him. He's like, it's a completely different thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? It's great that you can... Um... But I'm sure Steve listens to his boy too, because, you know, it just seems to be that thing where music is a very strong gene, very, very powerful gene, as I've found through all my children. Uh, you know, they're just, they all have it, whether they wanted it or not. They've got this ability to create music and art and all the rest of it. It's a really powerful gene. And, um, you know, when I'm working with my own kids, I listen to them, you know, I may not agree with everything they say, but I'll sure listen to them because what I've found is that all their ideas are so valid. And if I'm not open to them, then it's going to be my loss yeah. if I don't listen to, to their ideas because they're the ones who are who are really living in the now as far as today's music's concerned. Yeah. And no matter who you are, you've got to be aware of what's going on around you. And um, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not going to be some, some hermit who lives in a, in a cage in a cave or something. And, and just wants to do exactly what I want to do. Even though this is my project, I'm quite open to, to what's around me, to the ideas. Cause that's the way that I, I was given that chance. Well, I think that's the beauty of collaboration, work. right? Yeah. yeah. I was able to do, I was given the free hand to do exactly what I wanted to play the way I wanted to play. And, um, and that's, a, that's a gift, you know? Yeah, absolutely. As long, before we get over to it, to Jeremy's gear talk, let me just finish up on the Alice Cooper thing because you go on the road with him. And then of course, 79, 80, 81, we start getting into those lost Cooper years where substance became more important than music. And we know the story and listen, it has a happy ending because he's happy. He's touring and but what was that like for the band? Were, were you also in those lost years or were you sort of looking from the inside going, Alice, you got, I mean, were you part no. of the whole nastiness or were you 
sort of saying, Alice, come on, dude, come on. No, no, no. I was Mr. Clean. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> now, listen, I, th- I think if anybody tells you they lived in music th- through those years and, and didn't get involved in, as you term it, nastiness or whatever, um, then they're straight out fucking lying because there was so much of this going on. You couldn't really avoid it. Um, I'm not saying that everybody was mental. Uh, so in one sense, your question is a really good one because I know on a couple of occasions, you know, I called up Alice's manager or, or I talked to Cheryl and I would say, my God, I'm, I'm so worried about him because it really is. Um, because, you know, addiction is a terrible thing. I know because I've had my own my own battles to fight and I'm doing great. So that it's wonderful. Well, but congratulations. I and, and, but, but he was also emaciated. I mean, he was, he was starving himself to death. Yeah. It was Literally so, really, really super heavy. And, and, um, and as I say, I, you know, I called Shep a couple of times and Shep Gordon is another wonderful, wonderful guy. Yep. Who, yeah. not, what a great manager to have, you know, and, and, and Alice and him have been friends since the very beginning. Um, so when, when your best friends see you go through this kind of situation, your real friends will be there to try and help you through it or help you out of it. Uh, you know, um, there's other people, obviously, who just want to be part of the party and they'll, they want to chip in and they want to just take what they Yeah, can. I'll buy a bag. Let's keep going. That's right. And, and, you know, unfortunately, there's so many of those parasites around, always have been. Um, but, you know, thankfully, as you mentioned, Alice listens and, and he's got a really close, he's got very strong faith. And yeah. he was able to, to find strength, you know, with his higher power and be able to listen to his wife basically pleading with him to, to get his shit together. And, and he did. You know, it took some time. But you know what? There's nobody doing better than Dallas right now. And, you know, n- not a nicer person, not a sweeter person. But then again, even through all the bad years, he was just that way, too, you know. It's yeah. just that what was weighing him down was something that was a uh, was a very evil power that that you know yeah. we all have to find our way we all have to negotiate and maneuver our way yeah. through that mind no, and, and when to, you to, hear that song pain knowing what was going on in his life at that time it just adds that layer of extra I don't, I don't, I don't, realness or whatever to that song and you just you you feel the pain in the song pain it's right. That's right. That's right. You know, cries for help all over the place. Um, Because most people, I think the unfortunate thing, because Alice is such a crazy, outrageous stage presence, that people were just kind of saying, well, it's just Alice Cooper. That's the way he behaves. It's all shtick. But but no, it was a really, really dangerous time. So I'm so glad that that we all made it through. That's the main thing, because it filters down to everybody. and, And no matter how how, how vigilant you may think you are it's going to hit you at some point you've just got to be real careful and you got to you got to bank on your on your real friends to help you through it because yeah. that's the ones that you really have to count on when all said and done you know it's amazing how many stars and musicians that the drugs and the drink have just taken out over the years i mean i mean look at working with elton i mean just watching rocket man and the amount of substance abuse that they kind of discuss in the movie i mean you know it, it, that was the trend that was the thing everybody was doing it that's right. That's right. Yeah. Danger city. Danger city. Really. It's, uh, but it's no less dangerous now, you know, because of the deaths we've seen in the last 10 years. Mm. You know, everything from, from Tom Petty, the Prince, you know, and just dreadful. I mean, all to do with shit like fentanyl and stuff like that. It's like, what are you looking for, guys? Yeah. 
what is it? You're looking for pain relief or just total fucking numbness? Yeah. It's very, very sad. But unfortunately, it seems that musicians and artists have always looked for that that extra, you know, place to go that's a little dangerous and mm-hmm. a little trendy because that's what it is. Unfortunately, it's a very fine line between being trendy and being dead. Yeah. Um, so- yeah, just ask Whitney Houston. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, look at musicians. Like you said, they're always trying to look for that maybe darkness, but it's like, you know, they always try and fill this unfillable void inside them, and they try and do that with the drinking and the drugs, and it's like, at the end of the day, I, I mean, does it fill the void? Uh. Yeah, no. Definitely not. But actually, that was my name in Alice's band for a while. I was called Filled the Void. <laughs> no way. <laughs> Fill the Void. That's a great Fill. name. Mitch, isn't that your stripper name? That's my stripper name, yeah. (laughs) Oh, my God. Uh, Who's going to be our guitarist? I don't know. who. Just fill the void. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. He works with Rat Scabies and all these other people. He's great. (laughs) Uh, Gear talk. Let's go. Yeah, Davey, I want to know. I mean, listen, you've been playing with Elton for, you know, nearly 50 years, thousands and thousands of gigs. Through the years, you've seen everybody from Eddie Van Halen to Michael Lando to Steve Lukather to, uh, you know, the Dan Huffs with every guitar rig possible. How have you made the transition through the decades? And are you still using amps or are you playing uh, through the fractals and Kempers of of 2022? (laughs) No fucking way. No, I'm using apps, of course. No, but, you know, like like everybody else, I'm pretty sure, or like most guitar players, you know, I would study the way things flowed. Like, um, you know, I, I started using, well, in the, the beginning of my career, it was like AC30s, um, right. deluxe reverbs, uh, Marshall stacks, this kind of thing. And then slowly as we got into the 80s, it began to, you know, the Bradshaw stuff started, the Bob Bradshaw. The big rack systems. All this really cool MIDI stuff. And mm-hmm. and yeah, that was really, I mean, I had, a, I had a rack with SX 70s in it and all this top of the line studio shit until I realized towards the end of the 80s that my guitar started to turn into this processed nothing really and it wasn't me it wasn't you know my style yeah so bit by bit i shed all that stuff off went back to just a basic amp setup and guitar and went back to using amps like well i i, I always liked mesa boogie uh, mm. i st- in fact i was given the first two of those in 75 when i was up at caribou ranch wow to try out instantly loved them so i you know mesa boogie was a big player uh matchless also uh as we got into the late 80s early 90s 90s and then what i discovered was that you know what I, I i don't want all of these effects so i stripped it right back to nothing i've always liked using for example a volume pedal because i love uh, using swell stuff riding uh, on it put a nice little harmonizer on there and yeah yeah, yeah it's beautiful and and uh, it's great for slide and things like that but um i cut it right back to nothing so what i use nowadays um i use uh two hughes and kettner amps nice uh pure tone amps which are killer um they're much more in that region uh, of the ac30 slash matchless slash boogie they've got that whole capability in there yeah they're killer and um a lot of country guys talk about the uh the matchless amps that's like the the, like if you want to run like a really nice clean sound with just all of your effects going through it like apparently matchless is the amp to use very much so um the problems that i was beginning to have though was i needed to have amps that were roadworthy because we really do a lot of traveling and for example you can barely take an ac30 if you travel like us with the size of equipment uh you know all the gear that we have mm-hmm. you know it's not going to make it so um 
That's one of the reasons I went to, to Hughes and Kettner. And also because they make wonderful outboard stuff. They make an incredible uh, Leslie cabinet simulator called a rotosphere that is just probably, I mean, it's the next best thing to a Leslie. Super and I've also, at home, I use a few other ones. Um, I use the Strymon at home, which is the Leslie simulator again, which is killer. Yeah. Um, but I'm also, they make a great uh, tube driver type of effect um, for my crunch sound and my solo sounds. And then if I want to go crazy, I have a blues driver set to hell that, nice. you know, when I want to just go off to the stratosphere. Uh, and maybe a, a compressor I use, obviously a chorus. Um, and and that's really it. I use a one, a couple of things, but not that, not overuse. I find that for our shows, right. I like to really use effects sparingly. Yeah. So that when you do, do use it, it really is effective. Are they all right. old vintage? I was going to say, are they all old vintage stomp boxes or are you using like a multi effects thing? No, no, they're pretty vintage. Yeah. Um, you know, they're all, I mean, put it this way. I, I don't want to, again, because of, because of the way that we travel, you have to really be careful. So the, the, my pedal board is really straight ahead. It's really, you know, well protected. Because also there's the point that we have, we travel with, we have three separate rigs of gear. I mean, you know, meaning that in every rig, I have my two stage amps and then I have two backups wow. and I have two pedal boards. And one of those, one of those rigs will contain one of Elton's piano and a backup piano. One of Nigel's drum sets and a backup set of drums. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like it's so much gear. Um, and the one set would be in LA, uh, one set would be on the east coast of this country, and another set would be in Europe, because that's the kind of traveling that we're used to doing. We just have to make sure. So that means that I don't get to play my favorite guitars every night either. You know, I mean, does I've that affect very... your performance? I mean, you got your fly rig and then you got the main touring rig. I mean, if you're not playing your favorite guitar, does it affect your performance? Not really, because I find that, see, I stopped relying on on favorites and vintages a long, long time ago mm. when I realized what our tune was going to be. It became more important to me that I did have the instruments that I wanted. So um, Gibson have been super friend and Fender have been really, really helpful to me over the years, uh, enabling me to, to get the best possible uh, Les Paul uh and a few backups that I wanted to take on the road with me. So I've been very, very, and that, you know, that's one of the major perks about being in this kind of an organization is that people are only too happy for you to, you know, use their stuff. So mm -hmm. I've been able to use, for example, the same, uh, the same bank of Les Pauls and Fenders for the last 20 years. So I've played them in, I've played them all in so that, you know, it, it might not be my favorite guitar, but, you know, for example, you can't carry that favorite guitar everywhere. I just can't yeah. do it. You know, it's not going to buy happen. an airline seat for it. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? We travel, you know, we, we get, you know, we have our own charter and stuff like that. But it's, it's like it, nothing's easy in this in this world. What you have to do is it's, it's a world of compromises. If we were a smaller outfit and maybe played smaller venues and it was more of like a specialized thing with one set of equipment, then it would be different. Then yeah. I like maybe like Kenny Wayne, another dear friend of mine, Kenny yeah. Wayne Shepherd. Oh, he can take his his favorite two or three guitars with him, his favorite amp set, and all the rest of it. But they're not playing to, you know, thirty thousand people, um, you know, all over the world all the time. Which is what when we get on the road, that's what it tends to be. Yeah. Well, look, hey, March 9th and tenth at the Bell Center in Montreal. I want to come check out your pedal board. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. 
Just, you know, I, I, you, you know what? Lucky I've, if you get in there, man, there's a bubble from hell going on here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. I still haven't seen Elton John live, but I'll have to. Let me just ask you one Elton John question. The name on the marquee is, of course, Elton John, but mm. you've been there for 50 years. Have you? I mean, he's incredibly loyal because you know when you're in a band like that, they they switch out guitarists and drummers like like they change their socks. But the, he's stuck with you. Do you have? an ability to affect the music or does he say hey it's elton john on the marquee it's my album it's my songs you're going to play it my way or is it really a collaboration where you can sit and go elton here's how we're going to do it here's how we're going to construct it well again i've been well i also i've stuck with him right it's not a one it's not a one-way street here mitch <laughs> it's not a one-way street because the interesting thing to know is right from the beginning since we started working i mean i'm talking more than 50 years ago, when I first walked into the studio as a 19-year-old kid to play guitar on Madman Across the Water, right from that moment, I've always played what I wanted to play. Nobody's told me, well, you better play this or you have to play that. It's yeah. never worked that way. So consequently, what's happened is that I've been, I've become his musical director, band leader, whatever you want to call it, musical confidant. So whenever he's got a question, uh, well, apart from anything else, he hates to rehearse. So Wow. I rehearsed, I take the band in with a dear friend of mine, uh, Adam Chester, who's my surrogate Elton, who rehearses with me. Who, he loves singing Elton songs, so it's all cool. But that means we can rehearse with a full band complement. Um, so Elton gives me free hand with all that, with rehearsing the band and, and you know arranging the songs the way I think they should be on stage. And if there's any change when we get up to the tour, you know we might make a little, a little cut here and there, but, but it's totally collaborative, always has been. Wow, that's, that's fantastic. Great. That's really that's cool great. to hear because, I mean, you know, Elton could easily just be a diva. Be like, no, play it like the record or you fuck off. But no, he's like, yeah. You, yeah, hey, have some fun. <laughs> I just told him that the other night. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. As oh, you do. <laughs> Absolute pleasure, by the way. Uh, Jeremy, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, uh, listen, the Davy Johnson band Deeper Than My Roots coming out on February 4th. You can pre-order it now wherever you get your music. You can stream it, download it. But hey, listen, you want the physical product because if you see him backstage at a show, he can't sign your MP3. So, That's correct. Yeah, support the kids, the beautiful artwork. It's been a full, it's a it's a proper family effort, which is what we like to see. So uh, go and pick this up. And, of course, performing at Montreal's Bell Centre, two back-to-back gigs on March 9th and 10th. Some tickets are still available at avenco.ca. Davey, we'll have to go for lunch or something when you're in Montreal. This was a blast. Yep, absolutely. Great talking to you guys. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Yeah, best of luck Cheers. with this. And, uh, yeah, good luck with the rest of the tour. Stay healthy. We'll try. Cheers. And, and good luck with your internet. <laughs> <laughs> Bye now. Amazing last it. Thanks, guys. See Cheers. you later. An all-new episode of the Mitchell Fun and Jeremy White Show. Tuesday at noon. Available wherever you stream. Catch up on past interviews, bonus content, and episodes on demand now. Visit youtube.com slash Jeremy White Show. Follow Mitch and Jeremy on Twitter. Yeah, they're verified. At Mitch LaFon and at Jeremy White MTL.